0: You ever do you ever have you ever felt a little bit like your life is is being wasted maybe you've uh, felt like you're spending your life on the wrong things and it doesn't matter you know what you do how much you do it doesn't matter how much you accomplish you feel you feel like you're just not really getting anything done you're doing a lot of stuff you know, people might even tell you you're doing great, but somewhere somewhere you inside of yourself, you're like, I, I just don't know what I'm actually getting done. Am I just going through the motions? It, it just doesn't seem like I'm really accomplishing anything important. Maybe you can see just a, a bit of yourself in a, in a post that I, that I saw online. Uh, somebody said, and this is heartbreaking, on Thursday I will be 55. I have hardly anything to show for it. I'm divorced. I have a son who I have not heard or seen from in five years. He is somewhere in Texas. I am a recovering alcoholic, 15 months. I feel lonely a lot. I live in a studio apartment and work five days a week. I go to work, I come home, I go to work, I come home on my two days off. I have no friends to do anything with. I have no girlfriend. But then what girl wants a recovering alcoholic with emphysema with nothing to offer? I miss my homeland, but I have been here in the U.S. so long that even my homeland seems foreign to me. I'm up to my ears in debt, and every day I get older. I'm so afraid I will die a lonely old man. What will it take to turn my life around? And the the title of the post was A Wasted Life. And and maybe, hopefully, you don't feel all of those things. I mean, that's that's an extreme. But maybe, you know, somewhere inside of you, you're like, I'm wasting. And maybe you look at this guy, and you're like, wow, you know, got all these bad things going, and, and that guy seems like he actually is wasting his life. But uh, uh, Mickey Mantle, uh, you may know who Mickey Mantle was, a Hall of Fame baseball player greatest switch hitter of all time, uh, somebody that, you know, if you ask little boys that, that uh, grew up when he was playing baseball, if you asked them what they would like to be like, what they would want to accomplish, uh, where they would like to be when they were adults, when they grew up, uh, they would say, I want to be like Mickey Mantle. I mean, I want to be just like him. And here's what Mickey Mantle uh, said near the end of his life. God gave me the ability to play baseball. God gave me everything. But for the kids out there, don't be like me. All you've got to do is look at me to see it's wasted. This is our final Sunday in a series on laziness. And today, uh, I think that we're we're going to see uh, that laziness is connected to a wasted life. And before we look at that, before I explain that, I need to kind of fill you in on what we've seen the last two Two weeks. And first of all, we defined laziness this week. It's it's very important this way, excuse me. It's very important. Laziness is the unwillingness to do the right thing at the right time in the right way because something else is easier. Let me say it again. It's really important as we move through this this sermon this morning. Laziness is the unwillingness to do the right thing at the right time in the right way because something else is easier. Easier. And last week we said this laziness leads us away from that which we hope for. Diligence with a positive example to follow directs us towards that which we hope for. If you missed either of the first two sermons in this series, you can go to www.creeksidebiblechurch.org backslash the busy sluggard and get caught up on on those sermons. But here's the question with that in mind. Here's, here's the question. Uh, What should we hope for? If diligence directs us towards that which we hope for and laziness away from it, what is it that will make it so that we don't have a wasted life, so that we're hoping for the right things? And and here's the thing, when you read that guy and you listen to his words and sometimes the way we think about things, it, it seems like all that people hope for anymore is to avoid things. I mean, I hope that I won't be lonely. You heard it in there. He, he would have hoped that he wouldn't have got divorced. He would have hoped that he would uh, have a good job. He would have hoped to not be away from his homel- homeland for so long. But the question that, that I think is really, really important is simply this. Should we only hope against things or are there things that we should hope for? And if there are things we should hope for, what should we hope for? If it's not a great, amazing baseball career... Then, then what is it that, that we should really set our minds towards? What should be our goal? And and the cool thing is that Jesus told a story, a parable, when he was alive on earth, that really shows us the one thing that we can hope for, the one thing that we can strive for and want and desire, that if we succeed in it and if we live it out, then we can look back at the end of our lives when he returns and say, that was not a waste that was fulfilling that was something that was good that was i accomplished something that has eternal value and is really really important and uh, he tells this story it's called a parable and it's really something just important about parables a parable is a short story that that really teaches a single point and we'll look at some details in this story because I think Jesus wants us to see a few details. But if you like take a parable uh, to an extreme, then it will always fall apart kind of like a metaphor. If, you, if you've if ever used a metaphor and then somebody like keeps expanding on and expanding on and expanding on it, eventually you'll be like, well, that metaphor doesn't really work anymore. Like you say, well, Michael Jordan, you know, he he jumps like, he flies like a bird when he jumps. And you're like, well, birds can continue to fly. So how does Michael Jordan you know, jump? jump like or fly like a bird when he jumps. That doesn't make any sense. You can't take a parable to its extreme to its extreme. That's very important as we read through this. Matthew twenty five, verses fourteen and fifteen, is where Jesus starts this parable. I think you're really going to like it. You're going to know what you need to hope for. Again it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, he says a man, and and the man represents... Himself. I mean, Jesus is telling this parable about his return, and let me just kind of tell you what we believe about Jesus. We believe that Jesus was God's son who came to the earth to save people, and we believe that that he did that by dying on a cross and and being the punishment for our sins, so that whoever decides to believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world can have salvation and can live in eternity in heaven and then we believe after he died he actually rose again on a day that we celebrate as Easter and then after several weeks he ascended back into heaven and and so what Jesus is talking about here is after he's going to ascend into heaven he hasn't done it yet and he's going to be away from these people that he's talking to his friends his disciples his followers And if you don't believe those things, if you're not a Christian, and you're like, well, that's no good at all, uh, then then here's what you need to know ahead of time. You're still going to find some application in this. If you're like, A person that's like, I hate Jesus, or I think God's not real, or He's stupid. Then you're going to find some very good application in in this story. It won't be what Jesus intended application will be, but stay with me, and I think you'll you'll go, oh, well, that means something to my life, and you can find uh, fulfillment in some way. Uh, But really, who I think this is going to speak to most is people who are Christians, first of all, and the Bible always does that really well. But but other people who who kind of like Jesus, or, or they, they kind of think he was real, and and they kind of understand that he died on a cross, but maybe there's some things about Jesus that, that you don't like, and you're like, well, I, I might become a Christian if it wasn't for this thing or that thing, and and if that's you, if you're kind of like a person who, who thinks Jesus was real, and you can't even believe that he's the savior of the world, but but you haven't given your life to him because of some excuse, whatever excuse that might be, then this this is like, what Jesus is going to say is going to be like, you. I mean, it's going to be just so geared towards you who are kind of on the fence uh, about Jesus. Now, the thing he says here is that he entrusts this wealth to these people, these servants of his, this is the story that Jesus is telling. For us, that seems really weird, right? I mean, for for a master, somebody that that's like important to to be like, here, I'm going to give money to you, my butler, or my maid, and I'm going to have you, you know, invest it. I want you to do something. But for a first century person, this was actually normal. The master would entrust their wealth uh, to a servant. And a lot of times, and this is probably still true for people who have lower jobs than some of the rich people in the world, but the, the servants actually sometimes were more shrewd with money. They were better uh, at understanding economics and they were better at investing money. And, and, and so the, the rich guy would, would hand over his money. And it's important to know that it's a lot of money. Um, there's different estimations, but we're talking like upwards to 19 years of average wages for a person. Uh, but it's more important to know what that money represents in this story. And it's all that God has entrusted us with, that Jesus, we believe, has entrusted us with. And so let me just give you some ideas of what that means as we move through this story. Jesus has entrusted you With time. I mean, you have a certain amount of time on this earth, and He's given it to you, and He's entrusted it really to you to do something with. Some of you have children. And those children have been entrusted to you. God gave them to you, and He said, "Look, I trust you to raise this child to be its guardian." Some of you have older parents, and and God has now trusted those parents to you because they're getting older, and their health is going, and maybe their minds are going, and and God has actually trusted those parents to you. He's entrusted them to you. Uh, Some of you have spouses, and you're married, and in some way, God has entrusted that marriage partner to you he could have allowed somebody else to marry that person but he's entrusted them to you some of you have work uh, and, and god has entrusted that job to you he's given you that and he's he's let you be the one to have it and not somebody else you have all of you have skills and abilities and talents that god has entrusted to you. you have friendships. There's people that have come into your life, whether you like it or not, They that are now your friends. And, and God has entrusted you with those people in your life. And then this church, for many of you, God has entrusted this church to you and said, Look, I've brought you together and, and I'm trusting you with this thing. And, and so the money here, while it's a lot of money, uh, isn't as important to, as understanding that Jesus is talking about all that has been entrusted and given to you by God. Everything good that you have falls into the category of these gold pieces that, that Jesus, the master in the story, has given to the servants. And notice, really important, that he gives them this money based on their ability... Our world loves equal. We want everybody to be the same. And, and we try to pretend that everybody is the same. And, you know, we all have equal abilities and we all should be good. They stopped keeping score and t-ball. Uh, I probably won't let my kid play t-ball someday because of that. We'll just stay at home and we'll and I'll say this is what losing feels like. Uh, and you need to understand this at a young age. Uh, and someday he'll learn to beat me. But when there's... No, anyway, different sermon. Um, and, and so we like fair and we like equal. But Jesus is saying, look, this servant, he didn't give everybody the same amount, but he was fair in the fact that he gave them what they needed according to the abilities, kind of who they were. Matthew twenty five sixteen through 18, he continues the story. The man who had received five bags of gold went out at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. The first two do exactly what they're supposed to do. They were entrusted with the master's money, they went out, they invested it and they doubled it. They made a profit on it. They benefited the master through what he had entrusted to them and the listeners of Jesus story would have been like that's fine. The first two they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They wouldn't have been they wouldn't have been impressed. They just would have been like that's That's kind of the deal. I mean, wow, they did good on on the profit, but, I mean, that's kind of what you're supposed to do. What really would have grabbed their attention was that last part. The third guy, the guy that got one chunk of gold, he went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. They would have been like, no way. That guy, what is he thinking? He's going to be in big trouble. I mean, to bury treasure was actually a normal thing at the time. But to bury your master, the guy in charge of you, the guy who's entrusted you with this money, to bury his money, you would have been like, no, he didn't do that. That That is not acceptable. That no way that somebody would ever think to do that. It, it's similar to this. It, it's similar to you going to your stockbroker and saying, "I would like you to invest this money for me and bring me a return because I want to retire someday." And then you show up at retirement and you find out that he buried your money because he didn't want to lose it on the stock market. That's exactly what it is. You're like <laughs> you can be angry, right? That's really really. He's like, oh, it's a little dirty, but it's still here. I didn't lose it. You know, if we have too bad of a stock market, then that might be good. But uh, aside from that, Matthew twenty-five nineteen 19 through 20, the story continues. And at this point, Jesus has their attention because they're like, what is going to happen when the master comes back to this servant who has buried the treasure? After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said... You entrusted me with five bags of gold. see, I have gained five more. So he does exactly what he's supposed to do, and I want you to notice something. It's a very important thing for you to notice. Uh, they recognize that the money has been entrusted to them. And I want you to just put that in your heads because that is the, the big separation here. They see the money as having been entrusted to them, something that they should do something with, something that, that the, the master, God, Jesus, has given them and allowed for them to have. It's not just theirs. it's something that God has entrusted them with. That's a very important word. Matthew 25:21. His master replied, "Well done, good and faithful servant." You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Notice good and faithful go hand in hand. There's no tricky Greek words or anything. You know what they mean, right? It's good and it's faithful. He was good. He was Proper, he was right, and he he did the right stuff. He was faithful to his master to bring a gain. It's not about the amount of money, as we'll see in the next two verses. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. He says you're good and faithful. It's not about how much you gained. It's just about the fact that you did your best to bring me a profit on what I had entrusted you with. And then he says the craziest part of all. He says, "Come and share in your master's happiness." I mean, that's a, just a, that's weird, right? I mean, here's some money. You make me a a profit on it. That's the that's the expectation. And then when they do, he says, look, I'm going to throw a party and you're going to be at the center of attention. You are are going to be able to celebrate with me. I mean, go back to your stockbroker, friend. Pretend he didn't bury that money. He he made you a huge return and and you get to your stockbroker and you say, wow, you made me a lot of money. I want you to retire, too, with me. We'll both retire together. Here's a bunch of money to make that happen. This is what we call grace in Christian circles. This is unmerited favor. And again, we're talking about Jesus specifically. That's who the master represents. And he's looking at people in this story. And he's saying, look, because you have invested my money, you have been good and faithful. Look, I want you to celebrate with me. I want you to partake of what is only really mine. Because I love you and I care about you and I'm good to you and I'm gracious. And then this is what we read about the other guy. Matthew 25, 24 through 25. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His excuse is this. I thought you were a bad guy. That took things that weren't yours. So I just buried it. I was scared of you. Now let me, we don't use that excuse when it comes to serving Jesus. Let me tell you uh, kind of the excuses that some of you might use. And and we're going to see that Jesus just cuts right through these excuses with with just one word in a second. But let me just, out in front of Jesus' response to the excuse, let me kind of give you the excuses that I hear from people. It's like this. I would serve God, but he let my loved one die. So I'm not going to serve him. I mean, God is not caring. He's not loving. He didn't care about my friend or my grandma or whoever it was that died of cancer or whatever it was. And so I will not serve him. He might have entrusted me with a whole bunch of stuff, but I'm going to bury it in the ground because he let that thing happen to me. For some people it's like this. I will not serve a God who sends people to hell. I will not serve a God who punishes people eternally because I don't think it seems fair. And a God that's not fair, I will not serve. I'm going to bury all that he's entrusted to me and I'm going to bury it where where it's not being used for him and, and I'll do whatever I want to do. Or how about this? He doesn't care about the hurting And the suffering of the world. I mean, I can turn on the internet, open up a magazine, and I see these starving people. And a God who lets that happen is not a God that I am willing to serve. I mean, maybe you've made these excuses, maybe just for a minute. But maybe you're like a person who's continually making these excuses. And you're just like, I'm not going to serve a God who's mean. And here's what Jesus says, because the excuse just goes right away. Puts that excuse in its place. I mean, you think I'm a bad guy who takes what I haven't done or what I haven't, what I don't deserve, what's not mine? Here's what here's what he says: You wicked, lazy servant, lazy. Notice it. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put money on deposit with bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Now, first thing, notice. Wicked and lazy corresponds with good and faithful. The opposite of good is wicked. And here, the opposite of faithful is lazy. Now put back in our definition of laziness right there. The unwillingness to do the right thing at the right time in the right way. And you see quite clearly kind of the overall picture of laziness that the Bible gives. Here it is Jesus saying, you're wicked and you have not chosen to do the right thing with my money at the right time in the right way. And then he cuts through this excuse. He just cuts right through. He says, you knew. You knew that I was a hard man. I don't think Jesus is saying like you're right. He's saying what you thought about me is that I, that I was a, a person who was hard, who was mean, who, who might get you in trouble, who might punish you if you messed up with my money. And you thought I took what wasn't mine. And, the, and then he says like, didn't you, if I could just add Jesus' words, if you thought I was so mean then why didn't you do something for me? I mean, if you thought I was so wicked and I took what wasn't mine, then you better have known that I would take what was mine. I mean, here's just let me say it in one sentence. I mean, this is, this is the truth. Because you have these excuses. He let my loved one die. He punishes unfairly. He, he doesn't care about the hurting or suffering. And, and this is what Jesus says if you be really believe that. If you really think those things are true, God is mean and arrogant and I won't serve him. Well, here's the truth. If God is a vindictive evil jerk, you better start using what he has entrusted to you for his benefit. I mean, if God is a vindictive evil being that's up there being mean and letting children suffer and not caring about you and your family, then you better start serving him right now. Because someday he's coming back and you don't want to face him. That's what Jesus says. He says, I don't, fine. If that's what you really think about me, if you really think I'm this evil being, then you better do something. You better do what I say in my word. You better start living out the principles of the Bible. Your excuses, I just want you to know this, this is just for me now. Your excuses about God being mean and stuff like that only work because you, you know from Christians that God is actually a loving God. And so you have made yourself so arrogant to be able to say, like, well, I don't like the way God does it, so I'm not serving Him. Jesus says, if that's what you believe about me, then you better start doing something. You better do exactly what I say if you think I'm coming back here and I'm just going to punish you unfairly. If I'm somebody that just kills your family member, then you need to serve me. But what do we already know about Jesus? We already know that he isn't a vindictive evil jerk. We already know because we saw how he responds to the first two that Jesus is inviting us to share in a party that we do not deserve if we are good and faithful. And what I offer is that if we must serve God because he is a vindictive evil jerk, if that's the proper response, then all the more we should serve a God That we should benefit God with what he has entrusted us to that loves us and cares about us. I mean, think about this. A master who comes to a place that is evil and hurting and struggling and then dies for a servant that deserved none of it. That's what we believe about Jesus. We celebrate communion every week to remember that Jesus wasn't just a master who's like, I'm mean, I'm arrogant, I'm evil. He's a master that said, I love you so much, and I want to have a relationship with you so much, and I want your eternal happiness so much, that I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die on a cross for you. So the truth is, you only really have two choices. You can picture Jesus falsely as an evil, mean being that sits up in heaven and you can serve him because of it, accept the salvation he offers on the cross because you know how much you need it. You can can say, well, I'm going to try to follow the tenets of the scriptures because I'm scared of him. Or you can rightfully see Jesus and say all the same stuff because you know he's loving and he's kind and he cares about you and he's offered you his grace and his mercy. And you say, I'm going to accept the gospel and I'm going to live for you the best I can because I know how great you are. But either way, we have an obligation to benefit Jesus with the things that he has entrusted to us. Notice what he says last. He says, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And notice this part. And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'll tell you what a worthless life is. A worthless life is a life that does not bring a benefit, does not glory, does not honor, does not make known Jesus with all that Jesus has entrusted to us. Let me say it this way, quite clearly. Your life can be tragically wasted or gloriously spent. And when we repeat that, you need to have that in your heads. You need to walk away from here with that in your minds. Your life can be tragically wasted or it can be gloriously spent. And the deciding factor, one of the key factors, is whether you will be faithful slash diligent or whether you will be lazy. Whether you will choose to do the right thing at the right time in the right way with all that Jesus has entrusted to you. Or if you will not care, if you will do the easiest, uh, simplest, normalist thing that you can do in your life. You see, what Jesus is saying is that he has entrusted you with so many things. For some of you, it's the gospel. You have been presented the gospel. I just told you how to get into heaven someday. And you have a choice now. You can gloriously spend what he has entrusted to you by accepting him as your savior and deciding to follow him. Or you can tragically waste it by saying, I won't accept that. I'll keep doing the easy thing, the thing that, that is simplest, the thing that I've always done by living for me and not living for this Christian thing because I don't want to. For some of you, it's quite clear you need to make a decision to respond to Jesus and say, Jesus, you have entrusted me with hearing the gospel, and I will not tragically waste that, but I will gloriously spend it by giving my life to you. For others of us, we need to recognize that all that we have that is good has been entrusted to us by God and it has been entrusted to us so that we can bring him a prophet. So that we can make Jesus look good to the world. So that we can lead others to salvation in His kingdom. To know about Him and accept Him as their Savior. To, to to make Him to seem better to the people who don't know Him. To honor Him. To glorify Him. To worship Him. All that you have that is good. Think about it all. Has been given to you according to this parable. So that you can benefit Jesus. And if you are spending... What you have been entrusted on anything besides making Jesus better, look better, I should say, to the world, to benefit anything other than benefiting him, then you are tragically wasting your life. And I believe you will come to the end of your life and you will look around and you will say, What have I really accomplished? Does not matter if you got rich and famous or whatever, what have you really accomplished? Think of this. I mean, your time. I mean, you have so many hours in a week. And for you, if you're not going to tragically waste your life, you need to look at your time and you say, "What do I need to do with my hours, with my minutes, with my seconds this week to benefit Jesus? To make him look good, to bring him worship, to help others know him. What do I need to do?" For some of you again, it's your children. And you need to look at your children And and I tell you this, if your child grows up and your child is rich and famous and has a college degree and everything is going right and they got a great spouse, you will have wasted it. If you did not help them understand that Jesus is the Savior of the world and that they ought to live for him and you didn't help shape them as a Christian person, it will be tragically wasted. For some of you, as I said earlier, you have parents that God has entrusted to you. And I'm telling you that, that you can just help them get by, you can just kind of do the minimal, or you can say, how how do I make Jesus look good in this? By serving them, by caring about them, maybe by trying to lead them to Jesus now, even in their old age if they don't know him. And if you do the first, if you, if you just go through the motions and you get it done, it will be tragically wasted. But if you, if you really help them and care about them and, and, and show the love of Christ to them, then it will be gloriously spent. You have money. You have a choice with what you do with your money. You can spend it on a million, a billion different things probably. And I tell you that it, that anything that is not spent to make Jesus look good, to make Jesus known, to bring him worship, is really wasted. And if you do that enough, if you do it over and over and over again, all your money spent on you or uh, whatever it might be, then you'll get some time down the road and you'll see th- say, that was a tragic waste. Some of you go to work every day and there's people there that don't know Jesus. And there's people that that need encouragement in their relationship with Christ. But you just go and you collect a paycheck. You are tragically wasting an opportunity. Some of you go to work and you just do a very poor job. It's just you just go through the motions and you clock in, you clock out. You're not trying to, to glorify Jesus or worship him in the way that you approach work. That will be tragically wasted when you look back on it and not gloriously spent. All of you have skills and talents and abilities and maybe you're using them for a lot of different things. You're like, yeah, I'm in a band or I play basketball and on the weekdays or whatever it might be. and, And I'm telling you this. You have an opportunity to spend those those talents and those abilities on just about everything. But, but you can just do it for yourself and kind of because it's fun or whatever. Or you can choose to benefit Jesus through them. And if you do, then you'll know that they were gloriously spent. They will not have been wasted. Some of you have friendships that God has entrusted to you. And there's these people in your lives. And you're just like, well, I'll hang out with them when it's easiest. But you're not doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. And I'm telling you, you're tragically wasting the relationships that God has given you if you aren't benefiting Jesus by helping those people know Jesus, by helping those people grow in their relationship with Christ, and by worshiping Jesus in the way that you interact them Him, in the way that you show love towards those people. Our church... I mean, we can come here each week, and we can go through the motions and have our services. And we can say, God, I thank you for the wonderful foundation of a church that we have, and we can kind of just keep doing what we're and not what we're doing. I think we're doing pretty good, but we can just keep going through the motions or go through the motions and kind of get by. and And you cannot invest and serve our church or really connect in our church, and you'll be here every Sunday, but you're not really you're not really trying to benefit Jesus through your involvement in this church. Then what? And what's going to happen is you're going to look back and think, wow, that was tragically wasted. But I could have gloriously spent my life at that church. Mickey Mantle, very end of his life, four weeks before he died, going with the other quote, said this I just want to start giving back. All I've done is take. just knew God had entrusted him with an ability to play baseball and with a very just kind of shining personality. And he had wasted it because he had not given back to the one who had entrusted those things to him. Now, if you're if you're not a Christian' you're, you're in that one that category of just like I hate God. I don't I just think he's stupid. I don't believe in him. I'm an atheist or whatever. I just I, I just want to point out just for one minute that Jesus story is still great. and if you hate everything about him then you need to know he was a great teacher because what he says even applies on a non-spiritual level to you. I mean, you can look at people who have been entrusted with so much and they don't spend it on others. They don't spend it to make a difference in the world. And you can admit, right, that it's wasted. As Christians, we think that we're entrusted those things by God and it's our goal and our aim and our our, our hope to benefit Him. But anyway, you slice it. I mean, you have to admit that Jesus is right. You only have two choices in life. You can gloriously spend or you can tragically waste. I just want you to think about a world where people chose to gloriously spend their resources instead of tragically wasting them on themselves. I mean, a world where, where people's money and their time and their efforts and their skills and their abilities, they, they weren't just spent on themselves and making themselves look good and gaining fame and gaining money and gaining everything for themselves, but they were gloriously spent and especially, I would just think, gloriously spent in the ways that I think Jesus would like them to be gloriously spent. All for his benefit. But when you look at the way he spent what God had entrusted to him in his life, what you see is that he increased love in the world. I mean, a lot of people, all they know about Jesus is that he loved people. And he wanted others to love. And so Jesus, for him, he's like, I'm going to gloriously spend my life. I'm going to increase the amount of love on this earth. He spent his time helping the poor and the sick. And he spent his time uh, helping the mentally ill. And, and he, I would add that he probably really uh, loved orphans and widows as well. And I just think, picture a world where you and all the famous people who have tons of money said, I'm not just going to tragically waste all of these resources on me, but I'm going to gloriously spend them to help the hurting and the suffering and the, the people who need help. Wouldn't it just be like a, just a different world we live in? And finally, I mean, just, just picture a world where, where we fought for justice, and where we gloriously spent all of our resources to see that there was justice, there was kindness, and there was graciousness, and there was love, and there was mercy, instead of just spending our time, our money, our energy, our resources, our children's lives, our parents' lives, all the things we have on ourselves. I'll tell you this, as clearly as I can say it, you have a choice. You can tragically waste your life, or you can gloriously spend it. And the thing that will determine that is whether you choose to do the right thing at the right time in the right way. And ultimately, the right thing at the right time in the right way, if you can just end this sermon series just by thinking about one thing, the right thing at the right time in the right way is always... To say what in this moment is going to bring honor and fame and glory, power to the Savior name Jesus. You will ask that in every moment, then you will no longer be lazy, but you will have a life that is gloriously spent. Will you pray with me, Lord? I'm sorry for how wasteful we are of what you have provided for us, God. I mean, even as Christians who really think that the positive things that we have, the good stuff that we have comes from you and we still spend it on ourselves. God, I just, I think about parents right now and I just want to pray for, for especially the new parents in our church, but all the parents in our church and, and Lord, I know, I know, cause I've been around it enough that, that for them, it will be so easy to fall in the trap of just kind of getting their children grown up and, and making them look successful to the outside world, especially in the city of Wilsonville, God. It's always about getting your kids on stage and making them look good so that, you, and the parent, looks good ultimately, and that's a tragic waste, Lord. And so, for our parents in this church, uh, I pray that that instead of just trying to get their kids through life, they would make a commitment. Just make a commitment to God in in their parenting, to make you the center, to benefit you in the way that they raise their kids, to bring you a profit on the amazing gift that is the gift of, of life, Lord. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for the people who aren't Christians that are here. And Lord, I, I know that, that I cannot talk them into uh, a belief that you are the one who ultimately provides salvation, eternal life, who provides all of the blessings that we have, even to them that don't believe in you, uh, but I, but I believe that you can talk them into that, Lord and Lord, I pray that you just speak to their hearts in, in these moments and and God, you would you would touch them and, and God, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time, Lord, they would they would wake up to the fact that they are tragically wasting because they are not spending anything that they have uh, for you, the one who has provided it. Lord, I pray that you bring them to salvation this morning and they would not waste they would not waste the hearing of your gospel. The fact that you came to earth to die for them. They would not waste that, God, by going, yeah, whatever. I get around to accepting that and giving my life to Jesus or, or whatever it might be in their hearts. But instead, God, they would spend and they would just sell out to you this morning and say, I, I accept it. I believe it. I love you, Jesus. Lord, uh, we love you. We do claim that you are the provider of all things good, from, from salvation to babies and everything in between. I pray we, we would not be a group of people, a church, that tragically wastes, Lord, but instead gloriously spends. In your name, amen.
1: During this next song, we're going to have the ushers are going to come forward and, and pass out the elements of, of the communion. And we just encourage you to hold on to the, the bread and the cup through the song. And then when Chad comes back up, we'll, we'll take it together as a church family in remembrance of, of what Jesus did for us. the streets out there, let us dance for you, let us dance for you, cause I'm madly in love with you, yes I'm madly in love with you, yes I'm madly in love with you. Yes, I in love with you. And what we doing here, fill the streets out there, let us dance for you. Let us dance for you. Then what we do in here, fill the streets out there, let us dance for you. of my life in nothing less I offer to you my righteousness dear yeah, my life in nothing less I offer to you my righteousness i in love with Yes, I'm madly in love with you. Yes, I'm madly in love with you. Oh, I'm madly in love with
0: you. We think that the only uh, reason that we can benefit jesus at all that we can glorify him is that he came to earth and he died on a cross uh, to save us when we take communion uh, our goal is to remember that and to proclaim it together as a church family and uh, on the night before jesus died he uh, he took bread and he broke it and he said to his disciples hey uh, whenever you take this i want you to do this in remembrance of me and so will you take the bread and remember that it represents jesus body broken for you And in the same way, he took the cup and he held it up to his disciples and he said, whenever you drink this, do it in remembrance of the fact that I will pour out my blood for you. Will you take this morning and will you remember that Jesus poured out his blood for you? Jesus, we thank you for dying for us. Too often, God, we are wicked and lazy. But yet you love us. We thank you, Jesus, that, that you aren't a vindictive, evil jerk up in heaven waiting to smash us and to do mean things to us. I know you have that right. But instead you love us and you care about us and you love us and care about us so much that you allowed for your body to be broken and your blood to be poured out to save us. Let us never, God, let us never take that for granted. Those of us who believe it, let us never take it for granted. But instead, Lord, let us spend our whole lives doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. By doing whatever we can to help people know that you died on a cross. And to show you, God, how much we love you because you did die on that cross. In
1: your name, amen.